Happy Tuesday! My favorite day of the week. I'm so excited to be in the house with you guys tonight. How many of you guys have been enjoying the book of James? Maybe it's your, your first night in here, or maybe you're just kind of catching up. But if you don't know who James is, James is actually the half-brother of Jesus. Kind of cool, so we kind of get like the low-low. But personally, I love James because he just gets like straight to it. The book of James sounds a little bit, um, for those of you who maybe been in the, the Bible for five seconds, in the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom, but it's kind of dressed up in like New Testament clothes, but it consistently focuses on practical action, and that's what I like about it, because I'm someone who's like, one, get to the point, and then two, can you give me some next steps? Like, tell me what to do with all of that, okay? And so that's what James is. That's why I love our boy James. But James also encourages us to live out our faith authentically, to not just be seers and hearers of the word, but to also be doers. A lot like Mark talked about in week one, and if any of you guys were on our campuses this Easter, you guys also heard Pastor Craig talk about that, yes, salvation comes by grace alone through faith. However, once we are saved— once we do confess Christ as our Savior, then our life should also have transformation, right? We should look different. To people in the world and everyone who's looking at us, it should look like we are living differently. James would say subsequently, subsequently that our mouths should also sound a lot different than other people. So not only should we be living different, but that includes the words that are coming out of our mouths. So we live in a time and culture where everyone, though, seems to kind of, like, speak or post or tweet pretty much, like, whatever they want, right? Like, any time, whatever they, they think, whatever they feel. Maybe they just ate something bad, and they're just going to go and blast someone. But that's kind of the culture that we're living in. People can be downright vicious. I know some of you guys have been, like, trolling just in the comments and sitting back, like, with your popcorn. It can be pretty entertaining. But it doesn't matter even if someone's even in a position of authority— no one's off limits. Everybody is fair game. And we all witness this on a daily basis. So for the most part, a lot of us are just used to this. Like, we think it's just kind of our norm. But we all know also that one person, you guys know them, who likes to brag that, you know, if this is just me, um, I'm just, you know, saying it like it is, I'm just keeping it real right? We all know that person that they always talk too much and they never own up or think that they should stop talking. And they just think that it's like a magical gift that they have to be able to tell everybody their opinion, right? We know that person, but our words actually take up a good bit of our lives though. They actually take up about a fifth of our lives, they say. The average person has about 30 conversations a day, a man usually has about 20,000 words, and by no surprise, a woman usually has about 30,000 words, so about 10,000 words more. And I'm not saying, no, that all men and all women are the same. But statistically, on average, there is a big difference there. But before we dive into James chapter 3 tonight that we're going over, in James chapter 1, in verse 26, he actually already warned us. He talks about this throughout the entire book of James. He says that if you claim to be religious, but you don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself, and your religion is worthless. I told you, James does not sugarcoat 
anything here. But today in James chapter 3, he's actually going to give us three different word pictures concerning the power of the tongue. And I think it's safe for us to say that God actually cares about what we have to say and what we don't say a lot more than we actually take it seriously or a lot more than we think that we should. So we seem to like to do our own sin stacking when it comes to this, right? Like we kind of stack up like the big sins over here. Like we have like the big boxes of like adultery and like murder, right? And then over here we have kind of like the smaller boxes of like sin, pride, jealousy, gossiping, lying, right? But that's how we seem to stack stuff up with the good and the bad. Um, But God actually, it's interesting, there's only one place in the Bible, and if you want to go look at it later, it's in Proverbs 6, where the Lord says outright that these are the things I hate. Like, clear as day, these are the things I hate. And for me, I'm like, okay, I should probably pay attention to that, because he point blank was like, I can't stand these things. And three out of the six things actually have to do with the tongue. So I think this is something for us to pay attention to. So today, I want to answer the question for us, though, like, why do our words really matter? Why do our words really matter? And James would tell us that first, our words matter because our words determine our direction. Our words determine our direction. See, we shape our words, but our words actually shape us. You right now are a reflection of the good and the bad words that you have received in your heart that have been spoken over over you in your life. Statistically, they say that we tend to become what the most influential people in our lives believe about us and speak over us and what they say that we can become. The first word picture that Jane gives us here is found in um, chapter 3, verses 3 through 4, and he talks about bits and horses. If we have any people who ride horses, you'll totally get this one. He says, Now if we put bits into horses' mouths to make them obey us, we can guide their whole body with just the small bit in their mouth. And then he goes on to talk about rudders and ships. Anybody here ever been on a cruise before? So you know when you go into port, right? There's this huge vessel, and you see it now up out of the water, and you're like, wow, like, it's ginormous. I knew it was big, but it's so big. And then you see, like, the little rudder on the end, and you're like, okay, that's not as proportional as I thought it would be. But he says a small rudder makes a huge ship turn wherever the pilot chooses to go, even though the winds are strong. So through these two different word pictures, James is trying to convey to us that something so small has the power to direct and determine the direction that our lives go in. Words are powerful. I think you would just say that right off the bat that you would know that. And thinking about kind of just preparing for this message, I was trying to think about what are some of the the positive and the bad words that kind of just stand out in my mind that have stuck with me. And I remember in pre-K, in kindergarten, going way, way back, um, my mom would get these, like, communication notes home, and it would just say, like, Chrissy is, like, such a, a gatherer of people. Like, she's so inclusive, and she, she's such a great leader. She is special. And then I remember when I was about 10, I remember clear as day standing in my kitchen and someone in my family, she grabbed me by the chin and she looked me in the eyes and she just shook her head disdainfully at me and said, 
I just don't know what is wrong with you. I just don't know what is wrong with you. I remember in sixth grade, y'all, middle school is brutal, okay, y'all know. I remember getting made fun of because before braces, my bottom teeth were super jacked up, <laughs> and so they actually kind of looked like, I guess, trees in a forest. So some of my friends would call me forest friends. And then also some of my friends would call me Casper because I'm like super white, like it takes a lot to get this white girl tan. And then throughout middle school though, going on, I remember though I met my Sunday school teacher. And I remember every Sunday when I would walk into the room, I would just have kind of this expectancy, this feeling of excitement. And I remember that she would just be standing by the door, this, this you know, kind of large, really snuggly woman, and she'd have her arms wrapped up really big and just waiting for me. And sometimes, you know, there's kind of like little flappy stuff, but that just made the hug even like better. And she would say, I am so glad you're here. I love you. God has something for you. And then I remember in high school, my youth leaders, I would show up on a Wednesday night, Wednesday night Baptist church people. If you grew up in the Baptist church, it was all about Wednesday night, and we show up. All the youth leaders, I'm excited to see my friends, but I remember the youth leaders would just kind of like line the entrance, and they would be waiting there, just high-fiving, high-fiving, and saying, hey, I am so glad that you are here. Like God has a purpose and a plan for your life. We love you. I just remember being so seen and felt like I was known. And then I remember when I was in 10th grade, I handed in a paper and one of my teachers was like, you know what? Like, I think you really have a gift of writing. I think that this is something that you should totally pursue and you should work hard at. Like, you have a gift here. I see this in you. And then I remember soon after graduating, and I did not know Jesus, and this was BC. <laughs> you know, it's kind of doing my own thing, and I remember someone muttering in my family and saying, you know what, but a tiger never loses its stripes. Basically insinuating that no matter what was going to happen, I was always going to be the same person, I was going to always be making the same choices, that I was never going to change, that I was just always going to be selfish, and that I had no purpose. But my fourth grade teacher... Miss Wyland. I remember her. And it was so funny because I remember sitting in class in fourth grade and sometimes like on Fridays, these older students would come in that you knew had definitely graduated like elementary school a long time ago. And they would come in on Fridays just to say hi. And you're thinking as a fourth grader, like why are these students coming back to see their teacher to say hi? But it was because Miss Wyland knew the power of her words she would actually call you out and say what she saw in you, and then she would give you a challenge so that you would rise up to meet the expectation, and she would recognize the gifts. She would say what she saw. She would see you, and you would felt known. We remember those people in our lives. I remember Miss Wyland. Raise your hand if you are an older brother or sister in here. Raise your hand if you have cousins or nieces or nephews. Keep your hands raised. Raise your hand if you are a coach or a, a mentor, or maybe you serve here on the weekend in Clubhouse or The Zone, or maybe during the week in United. Keep your hands raised. Look around. Can I just say that the power of your words in a young person's life has the ability to change everything? 
that you have the power and the influence of your words to possibly change the direction in somebody's life. Your words have the power how to, to, see, to change how they see themselves, but also how they experience Jesus. So guys, don't ever take your spheres of influence lightly. You are called to lead with your words in those spaces. Can you think about when you were like back to their age, you just thought of faces in your head. Can you think when you were that age, what it would have meant to have someone like you in their life now? It would have changed everything for some of us, right? And if you don't have that person, don't be discouraged. Don't think that you have to sit back. If anything, I encourage you to run, to run and find that place where you can serve and where you can go and be that person that you wish you had. Our words are powerful. And when it comes to our words, I think another thing that we have to remember that who we hang around the most matters too. If you want to tell where someone will be in about five years, you just got to pay attention to who they're talking about, what they're talking about, even sometimes what they're not talking about. You guys probably heard the phrase when you were growing up from your parents or adults, like, tell me your three closest friends and I'll tell you who you're going to be and where you're going. But it's true. Because who we hang around most will start to influence the way that we're talking and then the way that we start to live our lives, the habits that we create and the direction of our lives. It's funny how quickly this can change even. We don't even really recognize how fast it's happening. I remember when Hal and I were first married, I would come home from like long visits at my family's in Alabama and I would come back and he'd be like, you know what, like you say y'all a lot <laughs> and you unnecessarily combine a lot of your words and I'm not sure what that's about. And so if there's any Southern people in the room, you'll follow along when I'm talking about this, but just two words, for example, initiate and yontsam. And if you want me to put that in a sentence for you, you could say something like, First she had a burger, and then she ate some fries. You want some? Okay, yeah, cheesy, but if you're Southern, you get it. You're like, yeah, that's just normal vernacular for me, no big deal. But Hal pointed that out. But it was another thing, too. We spent so much time in youth ministry that teenagers have, if you work in United, too, teenagers have a complete language of their own, right? And so it was funny because we spend so much time with them that whenever we would go and hang out with any adults or people our own age, nobody would have any idea what it was that we were actually talking about when we would say stuff like ghosted or weak sauce, <laughs> we're taking it back, okay? Or throwing shade, like nobody had any idea what we were talking about. But on a more serious note, have you ever noticed that when you start to hang out with that one really negative person a little too long, that you start to sound negative too? You start to become critical about everything too. And then you're like, man, what in the world is wrong with me? Maybe if it's just like the music that you're listening to, right? All of a sudden you're like, I have so much anxiety and anger and I don't know where it's coming from. And honestly, like everyone is getting on my stinking nerves right now, okay? So I'm starting to think back when I'm thinking of this, the story of the Israelites. If any of you guys have heard this story before, I'm gonna give you a little bit of a backstory. But this story is found in the Old Testament. 
And I thought of them because the Israelites were honestly like the whiniest group of people, and I just thought it was really funny, but then God's like, mm, you definitely have sound like that before. So he caught me there. But where I pick up the story is that God, through Moses, had literally just delivered the Israelites out of generations of slavery in Egypt. And as they were making their way through the desert, God himself was like, you know what, guys? Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to provide for you. I'm going to make sure that you have all the food, um, all you need to drink every day. You don't need to worry about anything. Like, just follow me. I'm going to take you to your promised land. All your needs are taken care of. And they began to grumble. Like, literally, they had what was called manna, which was like a bread from heaven. I'm sure it beat anything like the honey butter rolls at Texas Roadhouse or like the, the brown bread at Cheesecake Factory. They had the bread from heaven. And literally, all they could do was grumble about the fact that, well, you know what? We actually just kind of miss like the garlic and the leeks and the onions over in Egypt when we were in slavery. But what's crazy is that their words, their grumblings, actually ended keeping them out of the promised land that God had for them for another 40 years. I think that's pretty terrible and sad to say that entire generation had to miss out on the promises and the inheritance of God for his people because they just couldn't stop whining. An entire generation. And then when we're finally, like, setting the stage here on the edge of the promised land, a generation later, so Moses was the old leader, and now Joshua is the new leader. He's like, all right, I'm going to take 12 guys. We're going to go spy out the land, um, the promised land. The Canaanites are there. Let's go spy it out. Um, and then 10 people come back, and they're like, you know what? We're, yeah, we're just not going to do this. So the people are too big, and it's going to be too hard, and it's just not fair. So they were already grumbling, but then there was one. There was one guy, and you can go read about this in Numbers 13 if you want, and his name was Caleb. And Caleb quieted the people before Moses, and he said, let's go up at once and let's take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Who wants a Caleb in their life? I know I do. How many of you guys already know, though, that there's a lot to grumble about in the last year and a half, right? There's a lot to grumble about, but the choice is ours about how we are going to respond. We can choose to be known as a grumbling people, or we can choose to be known as a well-abled people, because whichever you choose will ultimately determine the direction that your life heads in. But the men then who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. See, we shape our words, but our words in turn shape us. So are you going to be a well-abled person, or are you going to be a not-able person? So not only do our words determine our direction, but James tells us that our words also have the power to destroy our words have the power to destroy. And this is probably the one you guys can just identify with the most right off, right off the bat. But you guys know the old phrase too, sticks and stones might break my bones. And no, we're not doing like the rest of the Rihanna song. Because <sighs> that's definitely where my mind went the first time I said that out loud. But words will never hurt me. We know it's a lie, right? It's totally a lie. Words have a destructive power. You don't have to pick up a gun or a fist. We hold all of this power right here on the tip of our tongues. We all know someone who's like a verbal arsonist in our lives. 
Like everywhere they go, they like to start little fires or they like to throw gasoline on already existing fire. What we so loosely tend to just throw around has the power to destroy families, to destroy your career, to divide churches. In James 3, 5 through 6, he says, Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by just a small spark. Fires start from just a small spark. You know, it's crazy in all the fires that they've had in California, and one of them that got so incredibly large, they traced it back to a man who was in a campsite with one metal hammer and one metal peg. And he went to hammer the peg and just so happened to be close to some dry bush. And it's the same way with the words that we can so loosely throw around. You see the domino effect play out in movies that you watch or shows. Maybe you've even seen this play out in your family, right? Dad comes home, he's had a hard day. Maybe he had to have some tough conversations. He comes home, he doesn't really want to talk. And I know this is very stereotypical. And then mom's kind of irritated because, you know, like food's on the table. And then the, the house is clean, but then like she's not getting any affection. So then she turns around and she yells at the kids. And now the kids start fighting with each other and then like the youngest like kicks the dog or something right like it just is a domino effect James tells us that the tongue is also like a fire a world of evil among the parts of the body it corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and it itself is set on fire by hell. We've been telling y'all that James doesn't play. I feel like he's kind of that brother that shows up randomly at the Thanksgiving dinner, and he, you know he wants to talk about the thing that everyone else wants to talk about, but no one's really wanting to bring it up, but it needs to be talked about. But again, we live in a culture where this whole idea of throwing your words around is encouraged. It's even celebrated, right? Like, comment. Comment again. Oh, no, she didn't. Oh, but you are right. Oh, no, you have to tell her like it is. You have to tell him he is wrong. It has gotten so toxic. And I see so many Christians that are still partaking in this game and what they think or call is a conversation. Can I tell you something just real quick? Two things, actually. As one of your pastors and as just one of your big sis, like, your opinion does not matter as much as you think it does. It doesn't. And everyone does not need to know that you're right, even if you're right, or what you think all the time. It's okay if you want to post what you eat, because I admire that. But second, <laughs> also don't ever have an important conversation in a text message or in a comment thread. <laughs> Especially as believers. When it comes to our words in the Bible, the Bible tells us that there's actually two things that we have to consider when it comes to the fact that words can destroy. We need to consider the duration of our words and also the direction. So how much we say matters, the Bible says, and the Bible also says the direction that it heads is also very important. So when it comes to the duration, James 1.19 says that we're supposed to be quick to listen and slow to speak. Proverbs 10, 19 says, too much talk 
leads to sin. Y'all know the person who talks too much, right? And they end up talking about stuff they shouldn't be talking about. And if you're ever in a conversation and you feel like you've talked a lot and then you start talking about people, it's probably your indicator that you should change the conversation and go on to something else, okay? I've been to blame to that. I'm just saying it's a good indicator. We can also start to exaggerate our stories, right? Like you're telling someone a story and you're like, why do I keep talking? And then like the story just gets like bigger and bigger, right? Stop talking! (laughs) But the second is the direction of our words. It's okay to be frustrated and not agree with something or not like something, but we need to make sure that we're sending it in the right direction. And this can be something that we see even in ministry all the time, right? Like we want to develop healthy cultures of feedback. Feedback is important. We value feedback. We think it's the only way that you can grow is to have healthy feedback. But if I hear somebody on one of my teams who's sharing something with another teammate, I can't help solve the problem, right? So I think the question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I talking to the person that can help me solve the problem or come to an agreement? That can be a big indicator for us. A question to ask ourselves too, what is my agenda in this conversation? Is this conversation going to sow unity or is it going to create disunity? And honestly, that one has been really helpful for me personally in trying to decide if I need to talk to somebody about something or if I don't, or if I need to talk to somebody about something because I know that someone has said something about them. Is it going to sow unity or disunity? It's a great tool to think of. So being frustrated, again, or disagreeing is not the problem, but the direction in which we send our words is something that we need to understand because it turns into toxic gossip, really. So here's a little rule of thumb. Pass negatives up, pass praise down. Pass negatives up and pass praise down down. And here's a little toolbox too. This is free, price of admission. It's worth it. I got this from my father-in-law a long time ago, and it has also been super helpful. But it's called the three A's. So again, when you are needing to have a, a crucial conversation with someone, going into a hard conversation, and you're trying to decide how to go about it, you need to think about your attitude, you need to think about your audience, and you need to think about your alternatives. When it comes to your attitude, you need to check yourself before you go into the conversation and think, hey, you know what, like, have I processed this a little bit on my own before I'm going into this conversation? Am I in an emotionally healthy space before I go into this conversation? Because if not, we know what it's going to be, right? Like, and that's not going to be helpful. The next is audience. Is this a conversation that needs to be one-on-one and just kind of a a pretty good rule of thumb? If it's somebody who is an authority over you, more than likely it does need to be one-on-one and not mentioned in a group of people. But then also, maybe it is a conversation where it includes two people. So it's three of you together, but you need to consider your audience. Is this appropriate for how I'm going to go about this conversation? And then alternatives. This one is great. If you're going to, again, bring your disagreements or bring your frustrations, you need to come with solutions because this kind of respects the person that you're going to be talking to, and it's showing that, you know what, I've already processed this. I've thought about this. I'm not just coming to you to complain, but I'm actually coming to you with solutions because I care about this relationship, and I also care about what it is that we're trying to accomplish. So attitude, audience, and alternatives, great tool. So the third thing that I believe James is trying to get across, or the third word picture that we read about here, tells us basically that what we draw up out of our buckets is what comes out of our well. 
What we draw up out of our buckets is what comes out of the well. So yes, our words determine our direction. Our words have the power to destroy. And lastly, our words reveal our hearts. Our words are a reflection of who we truly are. Our words reveal our character. When we become aware of what's coming out of our mouths, when we find it to be, you know, like a little too critical or negative, that's a good indicator that we stop and kind of check that. It's like a check engine light. That maybe we need to go a little deeper. Maybe there's something that's at the root of that. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's unresolved forgiveness. Or maybe you're just plain stinking tired. And you need to reprioritize a little bit and create some margin for rest in your life. James 3, 9 through 11 says, With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we also curse human beings who have been made in his image. Can both fresh waters and salt water flow from the same spring? In the Bible, a spring is always used as a metaphor for the heart. And in these verses, he's saying that, no, the problem is not really our tongue— the problem is really our hearts. In 3.7, he says, All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are tamed and have been tamed by man, but no human being can tame the tongue. So why do our words matter? Because our words hold the power of life and death. It is that serious. Our words hold the power of life and death. We have the power of life and death right here on the tip of our tongues. So how are we going to steward the moments that we've been giving? Christy, give me some next steps. Here's three next steps for you. First, we need to ask God to check our hearts daily. This is a daily thing, even for me. It's not as simple as striving for behavior modification, okay? Jesus is not interested in your behavior modification. He came so that we would ultimately be transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But we can't do that on our own, right? So we have to ask God to give us a new heart. And this really should be, again, a daily thing because transformation, thankfully, it is a lifelong process. So when you wake up in the morning, pray Psalm 1914, for example. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. Psalm 139, 23 through 24, search me, God, and know my heart. This is waking up in the morning and saying, God, help me get my heart right this morning. I can't do this without you, God. You know my hurts. You know my triggers. You know the things that I'm struggling with and my blind spots. Please help me become more aware so that I can respond instead of react. And then two, just go through your list of things that you have going on that day. Do you know that you have some important conversations coming up that you're going to have to tackle? Do you know that you're going to have to meet that person that always kind of seems to bring out the worst in you? Lay that out before him. Say, God, when I speak to blank, may my words reflect wisdom. May I be slow to speak and quick to listen, and may my words honor you. We can't do this alone, guys. It has to be the Holy Spirit working in us. And second, we also have to do our part in the transformation process. Transformation does also require that we do our part as well. So what does that look like? After we ask God to search our hearts, we also have to put a filter on what we allow into our hearts. Proverbs 4, 23 through 24 says, Guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Luke 6, 45 says, What you say flows from what's in your heart. Garbage in, garbage out, right? It's that simple. 
So what are you listening to? What are you watching? What are you constantly scrolling through? Who are you hanging around the most? It affects you. And third, we have to be intentional about speaking more words of life. We have to be intentional about speaking more words of life. A study that was actually released by Psychology Today found that our words, which ultimately form our language, can boost otherwise unseen objects into visual awareness. Meaning this is where we are able to stir one another up. This is where we are able to inspire and encourage each other to dream more. That we can become more than the words that we have believed that have been spoken over us. It goes on to say that our self-talk regularly creates our reality and our destiny. So this power that we have to kind of retrain the way that our mind thinks is actually what psychologists refer to as cognitive behavioral therapy. It's as simple as forming new habits. I'm also a big fan of this. It's as simple as forming new habits to replace the lies that we've always believed. You know that record that just kind of continually plays over and over again of all the things that have been spoken to you over your life? The damaging words that have been spoken even by you, but also those to you. But I am so grateful that we serve a God that is in the business of replacing those lies with the truth about who he says he is and who he says you are. There is a transforming power that comes when we stand up to those lies and we say, you know what? No more. Not today, Satan. And we begin to speak words of truth over our life so that we start to believe it, right? It goes from a head knowledge to a heart knowledge, and then all of a sudden new things start to flow from our mouth, and then all of a sudden we start to behave a little different. We start to walk a little different, and then ultimately the direction of our life is changed, and also the direction of those around us lives are changed too. And just real quick, want to end with not three, four, four words of life. We have words of affection, words of praise, words of healing, and words of faith. And I'm closing with this, but these are so important. Words of affection. These are the words that God himself spoke over Jesus when only two recorded times he spoke directly to Jesus. And he said, this is my son. You are my son and I love you. I am proud of you. I say these words over my own son every day. I say, you are mommy's greatest gift that I've ever received. I am so proud of the boy that you are coming. You are becoming. You are the coolest little boy in the whole wide world. Words of praise. Can we just notice the good in those around us? Can we just recognize the effort and the gifting in those around us? I think our culture, we're already pretty good at recognizing everybody's vulnerabilities and weaknesses. Being a critic and offering up your idle opinion, I'm just going to tell you right now, it's not a special gift. It's not hard. Do you guys know that we have people that show up here at 6 p.m., some 5.30, every single Tuesday? We have the band, we have the tech team, we have your coaches. We have people that show up here to create environments so that we can come together as a family in this house and worship Jesus together and experience the love of God together. Can we just give them a praise for what they do?
And words of healing. Have you ever had the perfect word spoken over you in just the perfect time? When someone says, hey, I see you. I am with you. I am for you. You are enough. You are worthy. Hey, me too. Those are healing in that moment. And lastly, words of faith. Again, I think it's too easy to only talk about what we see, but can we start talking about what we know and about who we see somebody becoming? I don't need to stand up here every week and you don't need to hear from Mark and Hal and I or anybody else that you're a bunch of sinners, that I'm a sinner because we know that, right? Like we know what we did yesterday. We know where we messed up last week. Let's start talking about how we see each other rising up, how we see each other in our giftings, being able to take our place and pointing that stuff out in each other because sometimes we just take it for granted. Let's do that here as a family. Promote words of faith. And in closing, I know some of us today that maybe in your whole life you've never heard either in a long time or maybe the whole entire time that you've lived that you've never heard, son, daughter, I am proud of you. I love you. Maybe as I was speaking today, all you could kind of feel was shame and condemnation because these these words just came flooding out the entire time. Maybe as you grew up, all you were told is, hey, why can't you be more like Or, hey, what is wrong with you? Can I tell you today that we have a heavenly father that sees you and that he knows you and that he chose you and that he loves you and that he calls you his and that he wants to be with you right now wherever you're at today and whatever frame of mind you're in, whatever you're struggling with, he wants to be with you today. The truth is that while we all hold scars from words spoken over us, there is one that wants to lift your chin today. There is one that wants to lift your chin, and he calls you beloved son. He calls you beloved daughter. And he has a plan for your life. He died to know you. If you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite for you to start that journey today. A simple prayer right now where you're at, where you're sitting, and allow God to not only begin to heal your heart in those words that have been spoken over you, but that you would ask him for the strength to be able to have the power of the transformation of the Holy Spirit so that the direction of your life will change as well. Can you pray with me in this moment? Dear Jesus, God, we thank you so much for tonight. Right now I pray, Jesus, I know that you died on the cross for me, I know that you were thinking of me, God. I know that you took on all of those words that I play on in my head over and over and over again, that you died for those, that those were nailed to the cross, and God, I give you those. And in faith, I am believing that you are going to start believing my heart, healing my heart, and I am believing that you are going to start making me new, making my heart new. God, give me the power to be transformed, to live a life that honors you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Head still bowed. But maybe you do know Christ as your Savior. And maybe you've surrendered your life to him, but today you're asking him to come and do what only he can do and to take the pain and the hurt of the words that have been spoken to you. 
Maybe you're looking at your life here today and you're saying, gosh, I don't even know how I ended up here. Or you know what? I kind of start to see that my, dire- my life is headed in this direction and I don't want to head in that direction anymore. I want to change the direction that I'm going in and God, I, I need your transforming power. I need you to empower and enable me to be able to do that because I want everything that you have for me. I don't want to leave anything on the table. Would you pray with me? Dear Jesus, we thank you so much that, God, you are always there. You are always there to lift our chins and to remind us of who we are and who you created us to be. And I pray that you would just begin to flood all over this room, God, your truth. God, I pray that people in this room, that they would go and to seek the truth over the lies that they have been believing. God, I pray that you would reveal that to their hearts and that they would begin rehearsing those things. So that in that moment when the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, they will be able to recite your truth over that lie and that they will be able to walk empowered by your Holy Spirit. God, we thank you that you give us the strength to live a life of victory. God, we thank you that you have already won and that your name means victory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.